0: Welcome to the Tech and Maine Presents podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and
1: Maine, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech & Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Matt Cooper. Matt is the Principal for Cybersecurity and Data Privacy at Vanta. Matt, welcome to the Tech & Main Presents podcast.
0: Hey, Sean. Thanks so much for
1: having me on. Really happy to be here. Oh, Matt, thank you. You, the guest, make the podcast, so always appreciate when folks are kind enough to lend their voice and expertise to the Tech and Main Presents podcast.
0: Absolutely looking forward to it.
1: All right. So, Matt, with that, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our
0: audience? Sure. So, I have a, a somewhat unique and uh, circuitous uh, path to information security. So, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota. And at the time, I was very interested in religion and spirituality. And so I studied, I was a major in religious studies and ancient Greek. And I promise I'll tie this back in and relate it to my job. Uh, So I, you know, I read the New Testament in Greek and, you know, pursued that line of study. And at the time, uh, honestly, my career path was somewhat secondary. I just wanted to study something that I was motivated uh, and enjoyed. And so that's, that's how I came to that. And kind of at the end of my college career, I uh, was given an opportunity to take a very entry-level IT position uh, through some connections that I knew. And so I came in as a, actually a night operator. So this might date me a bit, but I was uh, monitoring modem connections from video rental stores back to the corporate office where the modems would then upload their daily transaction count. So blast from the past. Uh, I don't think that technology's uh, being used too much anymore. And I don't think those video rental stores are even in business anymore. No, they're not, Matt. So <laughs> you did well, date yourself. <laughs> I did. Uh, fair, fair enough. So from that experience, though, I was working for the Unix administrator. And he's like, hey, Matt, you know, you're know, you monitoring these things. You should really take this time to you know, upskill yourself, learn Unix, learn the command line, learn some shell scripting, some Perl scripting. And so I did all those things. Uh, I was a good student at work, did my job. And then after that, uh, I got promoted to a Unix administrator. And so I worked in that role for a bit. And then uh, my boss left and went to another company. And then a few months later, he brought me over to that company. So I came over there as a systems administrator. And there I got to branch out a bit. So I was managing a Unix environment. Uh, I became a Citrix administrator when Citrix was fairly new and just general Microsoft administrator. I did that for a number of years and then graduated from college and my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife uh and i decided hey you know what it's time to leave minnesota we always said we would do this we're sick of the winter and the mosquitoes so let's go someplace new and i won't go into all the details but we ended up moving to portland oregon sight unseen and when we got here uh we'd saved up a little bit of money but we needed some jobs and uh, long story short, both of us had worked as security guards in college as like a study job. And we're like, you know what, here we are. We're, you know, young in our early twenties. Uh, I realized I would just have this great IT job. We just need to go get uh, some jobs to cover our, our rent in our little apartment. So we both went and got security guard jobs and started doing that. And then one thing led to another. We were probably among a pretty limited set of people there who, uh, you know, had already completed our, our bachelor's degrees and so on and so forth. So we got promoted up. So shortly I became like a field supervisor. And then about a year later, I was the operations manager. This particular security company in Portland found an opportunity where it got into maritime security so that's port security and this is kind of shortly after 9/11 okay so all of a sudden I'm managing security at a seaport that's needing to comply with some new you know regulations and I'm like you know what uh, this isn't the career path I expected but I really need to make the most of it and so after a couple of years I studied and obtained my CPP from ASIS international and ended up becoming the general manager at this guard services company. We eventually sold out to a, a more national firm, maritime specialist security firm. I worked for them for a couple of years and then they got bought again by what is now one of like the big four in the guard services company, uh, Allied Universal. So I was the branch manager for them and that was all fine and good. But at that point I really was missing the days when I worked in IT, I was kind of looking around for, you know, what's my next move here? And, you know, one thing led to another and I I knew somebody who was in information security consulting. And so I called him up and I said, hey, I have an IT background. I also have this security management background. I want to do what you're doing, which is combining the two together in information security I know I don't exactly meet the profile of what you're looking for, but give me a chance. And so one thing led to another. He's like, you know what? I can, I'll bring you in as the juniorist junior analyst. <laughs> and, you know, you see if you can prove yourself and, uh, you know, figure it out. So he brought me over. I worked really hard. I learned everything that I could. I pursued my certifications. I think the CISSP was the first one that I went after. It was quite hard. I studied for at least a year. I was hoping to do it quicker, but it's a ton of information. One thing led to another, and I ended up being pretty successful as a consultant in information security, doing a lot of work with ISO 27001, uh, SOC2 and HIPAA, a little bit of PCI. As time went on, uh, GDPR was a relatively new thing. It was just coming into effect. And our firm decided, hey, we should really pick this up as a uh, practice. And so we went out and learned privacy and we ended up doing a bunch of GDPR consulting, which then became CCPA consulting and just general data privacy. And yeah, that's more or less how I, I wound up where I am today. And so I tell folks, I've worked my entire career, security or IT or a combination of the two.
1: Matt? That is an amazing background. Not only that, I mean, so you went from studying religion, knowing the Greek words for love, and you know, there's probably like three or four of them, then to IT, to security, maritime security, back over to IT. You
0: got you got that, Sean. Thank you for bringing it back to my days in college. Uh, Because I do want to mention how weirdly relevant that ended up being. So when I was studying the Bible, reading the New Testament, the, the trend at the time was the historical Jesus and like the historicity of early Christianity. That was a big focus of scholarship. And so we were very interested in close reading of the text, Really, word by word, to your point, reading it in the original language because maybe that's going to change the nuance of the meaning, and just going through and really understanding what do these words mean, you know, whether they're in Greek or in English or what have you, how good is the translation? Uh, what's the what's the historical reality behind this? You know, did did somebody really say this, or was this invented? You know, hundred years later, that kind of thing. And now today, as I work in a SOC two environment or an iso audit environment i'm again back to very close reading of control language and auditing of the specific meaning of the words that we use as commitments of you know our our controls and our commitments to our customers so it ended up being very relevant though i i didn't see it at the time Oh, it's again
1: an amazing background so for me, it, and you've probably never heard this mashup, but as I'm listening to your background, I'm thinking Eugene Peterson meets Elon Musk. And it's just the most fascinating thing. So, Matt, yes, you um, hands down have the most unique background of any guest that's been on the podcast.
0: Good, good. Ha- happy to hear that, Sean. I'll. Take that as a pride, a piece of pride. There you go. Awesome. All right. So,
1: Matt, as you were so kind to share, you know, you're there now at Vanta. Um, you are the principal for cybersecurity and data privacy. What has you most excited about your daily work,
0: Sean? Great question. I'm gonna. This is a little bit cheesy, but I actually genuinely love my job. And there's little that doesn't get me excited. I'm going to go into a couple of the different things. So first off, you know, we are helping customers uh, with information security and compliance, certification compliance. I I'm a little bit of a didactic person by my nature. I like to teach things or share things that I know. And so I honestly love helping folks wrap their head around information security, wrap their head around risk assessment and what does that mean, understand how to do compliance. And you know, there's not a single way to do it. There's a lot of variations. I have my own biases and my own kind of perspective, but it really gets me excited to talk to customers and feel like I'm really actually helping them to learn something new that they can go and apply in their environment and meet their objectives. Beyond that, I just find information security and data privacy to be an extremely interesting and dynamic space right now. Uh, You know, as you know, it's pretty much every day. Some new attack is in the news, which is not always exciting. Sometimes it's painful, but, you know, it's just very impactful for our world where we are right now as a a society and civilization that's in a, a technological change, rapid pace of change and then also data privacy i find extremely interesting you know here's another space where you have like the european society which has really had data privacy embedded in their culture for decades and then you have american society where we're not really used to that we're not even we don't even know why that's important of course if i put all my baby pictures on facebook well mark those are mark zuckerbergs he made the he made the system there's a lot of deference to corporate power here in our culture, but I think people are starting to see, um, hey, you know, this is going to affect my kids differently. Data privacy is going to become a thing that really impacts our lives. And so I really feel like being in that space right now is super exciting and interesting. Okay. I could not agree more. There are, outside of my family, probably
1: three things that I thoroughly enjoy, dare I say love. One would be podcasting. Two, Technology and then underneath that, I guess, would be two A cybersecurity. Right? When you look at everything that's going on, I do want to go down a little bit of a rabbit trail and and get your thoughts on the two most recent data breaches um, that we've been made aware of with uh, the energy company and um, with the meatpacking company. What what are your thoughts on those two instances? You know what. What comes to mind for you?
0: Yeah. First off, it shows the really just the impact of technology on uh, the day-to-day processes that we expect and depend upon and uh, all the very precise supply chains that we depend upon to show up at the grocery store and find toilet paper and that kind of thing. And you see, you know, how vulnerable these things really are from a technological perspective. The other thing that it makes me think about is risk management for a business. Obviously, those companies uh, had something terrible happen to them that they didn't expect to happen, that they thought they had planned for and had controls for, and those controls proved to be insufficient you know obviously they were pretty you know major organizations but they're not governments and so you know it it lets you see that hey even in the private sector even if you're not a military company or a government agency you still could be targeted especially now with the uh, scourge of ransomware and these uh, organized uh, criminal organizations that are just out there to make a profit you know so anyone where any place where they can have a major impact and get a payout is potentially a target and so uh, I think just all companies really need to to pay attention and be aware of that that's that's my initial thought on it I don't know if you have any follow-ups to that questions or comments no actually i I think that's um that is a that is
1: a great perspective I will say the the timeliness of you and I speaking allows for me to get your thoughts on the energy company within the last 24 hours. It's been made known that some of the money that was paid um, to the threat actor has actually been recovered. I will say my thought is similar to when we have military operations during times of war. I think that information doesn't necessarily need to be made public. And so I'm, I'm just curious with, with the revelation that some of that money has been recovered, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Great question. So I, I, yeah, I saw the same thing today and was interested in that also. You know, the thing that encouraged me was just that the U.S. Uh, security infrastructure is paying attention to these things, taking it seriously and trying to do their part. The fact that they were able to recover some of the funds is a great thing. My view as to why they made it public was probably as a deterrent effect to some of these organized criminal organizations to say, "Hey, you know what? You you get this money, we're going to get it back from you, and so think twice." That being said, folks, I wouldn't depend upon the FBI uh, getting your ransom back if you get if you get you know a ransomware event in your own environment. And it's great; it's a deterrent. But you know, let's be realistic. This thing is not going away. There's many com- company, or sorry, countries to operate from. There's lots of places to hide as a criminal, and this it's it's going to continue, unfortunately. So, if we can have little wins, like that's that's awesome. But I wouldn't, I, I would still take it seriously and do your own due diligence and put in your own controls to manage your own risk and not expect that the US government's going to bail you out. No. Good good point. Good point, Matt. Thanks for um thanks for allowing me to go down that rabbit
1: trail. I do have one other rabbit trail. As as I was thinking about that, I think someone mentioned recently how with that energy company they felt that things would have been different if the environment that the company use their network if it was virtualized so if they had a virtual desktop environment now i don't know that the energy company does or does not have a virtualized desktop environment but what are what are your thoughts on you know kind of virtualization and do you think that's helpful in fighting kind of that scourge
0: yeah no great question there's there's a lot of different controls and a lot of different technologies that can be employed to reduce risk, right? But if you look at a company like uh, you know a, a, any large enterprise, right? It's not easy. If it was easy, they would do it, you know. And I, I think I'll give you an analogy. So I'm fortunate enough to live in a place where I have a, a neighborhood garden that I work at, and it's like about a half acre garden. And it's fully deer fenced because there's a lot of deer up here and it seems pretty secure. I could not, you know, break into the garden as a, as a human because it's fully fenced off, etc. But what problem do we have in the garden? Bunny rabbits. It's darn bunny rabbits. They're small and they dig and they squeeze through little tiny cracks and they, Constantly test your defenses and your fence line. And I think that analogy works for information security. You're you're a giant company, you have tons of people, you're onboarding and offboarding people all the time. The, The cyber criminal just needs to find a single point of failure, a single weakness to breach your defenses. And so virtualization could be a tool. That's great. I don't know enough about the technical specifics of like this environment or this attack to say that what I would say is that it's something I come back to a lot. You know, there's many security products out in the market and there's many great tools. Right. But in my view, you can't think I'm going to buy a great tool and then be secure. There's this concept of cyber hygiene, and it's almost like a back to the basics kind of approach. And uh, another concept, uh, which, which is sometimes referred to as layered defense, meaning you need to do all of the basic controls that are going to help you and then layer on additional things. A technology tool is going to be part of that stack of defense, but it's not going to be a silver bullet. And so things like security awareness training, phishing training, robust access control on accounts, vulnerability management, and technical testing, not to mention just risk assessment and governance at the top. So you even know as an organization, where does your risk lie? What systems do you really need to protect versus those that it's not such a big deal? And uh, using that that governance mechanism to really focus and put in the controls that you need to protect those environments. So again, for information security folks out there, they're like, oh yeah, this is all the stuff we've already heard of. But I think that's really the answer. It's Layer defense, back to the basics, doing all of the things, and looking to technology is just a piece of the puzzle. That's right. It's it's not the, it's not the
1: silver bullet. It's one of the bullets in the chamber. That, exactly. Yeah. Well, Matt. Again, thank you for humoring me and um, for allowing me to go down those rabbit trails. That's uh, it's it's always interesting, you know, to get um, the perspective of a thought leader in security like yourself. So. Um, Yeah. Again, thank you for indulging me. And so, Matt, let's find out what would you say is the most common security issue facing Vanta customers?
0: Good, great question. So I have a few different answers to this, but let me say in general, information security can be very daunting when you're just getting started or when it's not your focus or you haven't done it before and just, Kind of knowing where to start or what your vulnerabilities might be is pretty tough when you're when you're just starting out, and so in particular, Vanta customers uh, want to get a certification. I, you know, ideally, they want to get SOC two certified or attested, or they want to get ISO twenty seven thousand one certified, or they want to be able to show that they're HIPAA compliant, etc. And so one of the core controls uh, for this is risk management. That is go, a process to go through, look at your, your business environment, uh, your main business processes, the supporting assets, and understand the risks to those assets and those processes. And I, I think that's hard to do. Uh, just you know we, we help people with that, but there is no, again like silver bullet there. There's a lot of great tooling. We provide some tooling that's super helpful, but I think it's a challenge just to go through and robustly understand your risk environment and then put appropriate controls to mitigate those risks. I think that's that really rises to the top of the list. You know, beyond that, from that risk assessment, you are going to have a number of controls. and so you know there's just time and effort involved in putting together a program and staffing that program. And then, you know, another thing that I think is challenging is the idea or the question about like, well, what's what's good enough, right? Because security in and of itself isn't really an end, you know, it's a means to an end. And the end is you operating your business and achieving your business objectives. So, Taking it back to when I was managing uh, port security, I had the pleasure of managing port security dur- during a, a very significant labor action. And the director of the port, uh, the, there was going to be some protesting in this like open field next to the port, which abutted the fence line. And so we were looking at ways to secure this against unauthorized intrusion. Okay. And the port director said like, Matt, how do we keep 400 like angry people protesters out of this field uh, so we could build like a 20-foot high concrete wall and put guard towers on the top of it that would probably work it's like well yeah man that would work but I don't think that's in my budget and my time frame etc I'm like okay I get it so we could maybe do xyz but this is a decision that companies have to make right because security is potentially a there's a challenge between like security and uh, speed, or security and convenience. Okay, it can be sometimes inconvenient, and so just going through and understanding the appropriate balance for your organization is not an easy thing to do, and it's something that you need to have a process to be continually revisiting those decisions and refining those, and learning uh, from past decisions and 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 new new information, new facts, new events and then continually refining your approach to security. Okay. So, Matt, given that
1: your customers are looking to get, as you said, certified SOC 2, HIPAA, the need to do a risk assessment, and of course, in most cases, they don't have someone that's a full-time employee on staff that's able to do that. You also mentioned the fact that there are trade-offs right, that you have to look at. How does Vanta come in and help their customer process all of that?
0: Sure. So as I mentioned, on the one hand, we have some tooling. So the tooling gives you like a context to work from, uh, gives you fields to fill out or questions to answer. And that takes this sort of intangible idea of doing risk assessment and breaks it down and makes it something more tangible. Do you have an office? Do you have locks on your doors? Do you have cam- you know, cameras? you know things like that people can easily answer they're like, okay I understand this context now. I can uh, I can assess the risk in this particular workflow and now we can prompt you to move to a new workflow. Where do you have protected health information in your systems? okay, let's define that. Now let's look at what might happen if that was exposed and what are the the entry points, if you will, or the, the points of exposure. And we can look at what controls we have around those. And so really, I think when you can make the questions more concrete and in a particular context, it becomes easier for folks to do it. Than when you just say, hey, go do a risk assessment on your business, you know, that, that that's a little bit overwhelming. So that's one way that we help. The other way we help is uh, we have a lot of, very smart and knowledgeable people on our team. And so just bringing that experience and consulting with folks either internally or with our external partners uh, is also like a major help. When you can talk to someone that's been there, done that, you can really cut through a lot of the questions. You're not reinventing the wheel yourself, but you're you're having someone who, who's been there and done it help you along. And I think that's a major advantage, really when you're learning anything, right, to to have a mentor or a trainer or a teacher or someone to help you get there it's a lot faster than doing it on your own no i I couldn't
1: agree more matt there there is one other thing that I'm thinking of this would be an opportunity for you to brag on Vanta a little more or you know just give us some more insights so what does your customer avatar look like like who's your ideal customer you know as a Partner bringing someone, or as someone who is googling data privacy and cybersecurity, and Vance pops up. Who are you? Who are you looking to help or bring on?
0: Yeah, great question, Sean. So we have a very well-defined, perfect prospect profile, if you will, and uh, I'll describe that for you here. So ideally, the the customer we're most well-suited to help is a service organization. In the technology space, so this is a company who has built their own application, which they are providing to their customers, right? So a, a SaaS platform, if you will. And as they are selling to customers, they're getting success, they're getting bigger, and maybe they're going after bigger customers themselves, say enterprises or highly regulated industries like financial firms, banks, hospitals, schools, things like this, government agencies, they find themselves uh, having to do a lot of answering for their information security program. That generally comes in the form of completing questionnaires, but these questionnaires can be quite onerous. They can be quite long. And if you're selling a lot of product, you're working into a lot of opportunities there can be a lot of questionnaires so literally this can become a full-time job where you have your what's supposed to be your security engineer who's now your security questionnaire answerer and you're you're like managing processes to fill out questionnaires so you're like taking you know all the answers that you have and you're trying to organize those so that the next questionnaire when you get a similar question you kind of have the answer already uh, ready to go and you can cut and paste if you will there's that part of the process Uh, there's another part where maybe sales folks are answering these questionnaires and it's getting a little bit technical and they're well-intentioned but you know they want to put best foot forward but maybe it's not totally a hundred percent accurate. So now legal's coming in and they want to review everything that sales is saying to make sure they can stand behind it, stand behind it, etc. So this is when companies decide hey, there's gotta be an easier way to do this or a better, faster way, or something to free me from this endless defense of my security program. And so that's when they look to certification because then you're having a third party come in look at your program in an organized audit context and then giving you a report that says hey we looked at these controls this is the testing that we did these are the frameworks that we checked it against which are recognized either the SOC2 criteria or the ISO uh, framework and we've certified and we're standing behind now as the auditor putting our brand and our name on this report that they all these uh, commitments, all these controls that they have, they're in place and they're operating effectively. That goes a huge way toward answering the questions that a prospect may have about your security program. And so those are the companies that we are really designed to help. A couple more details would be particularly uh, SaaS providers who are hosting their production workloads in a uh, commercial cloud, so in a GCP, AWS, Heroku, Azure type environment, and who are really kind of a cloud first company themselves, who are using a lot of SaaS tools, which we can technically integrate with. That's really our ideal customer, and we can make the world of evidencing your program, getting certification, and proving yourself to your prospect a heck of a lot easier, quicker. And uh, yeah, pretty much that. And then beyond easier and quicker, I would say more secure because we are bringing a continuous monitoring lens to this beyond just like a single look at it once a year kind of a thing. Oh, and Matt, you actually touched on the other
1: thing that I was thinking about, which is the frequency of engagement. Because I know sometimes, and, and I didn't work for the big four, but I have enough friends that did and they would create the reports, drop them off on someone's desk, and then you know, basically wave and say, see you next year. And so is there a, a cadence Vanta has set for engaging with their clients?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's definitely a big differentiator, but also a change in the industry, to be perfectly honest. When you have tools like Vanta coming in, it's changing the way auditors look at Evidence—it's changing the way they look at sampling, and it's—I think—raising the bar for the frequency of checks. So, to answer your question directly, Banta's technical tests are checking things on the hour. So, we're doing hourly checks. We're reporting back on a timeline, and we're—we're—we're we're, we're showing all that information, uh, you know, back to the customer so they can manage it. Therefore, if something falls out of compliance, they're getting alerts on that, and they can address it essentially immediately or in real time. And obviously, it's, it's, I think, intuitive that that's going to be more helpful than looking at something, you know, once a year or twice a year or something in the old sort of audit model when you didn't have other tools to do it. Oh, that's, that's a, a great
1: answer. And Matt, I would dare say Vanta sounds like they are doing
0: right by their clients, I would certainly say we are, and we certainly strive to every day. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, Matt,
1: why don't we pivot into some questions that are specific to the man, the myth, the legend. Nice. Matt Cooper. And so we'll, we'll start with this first question, Matt. What is your favorite musician or band?
0: Whoosh. wow. See, Sean, I don't think I told you, but I am something of a music fan. And so I could go on a lot of rabbit holes with this one. I guess I'll say I have extremely broad interests in music. Okay. And so there's not many genres where I don't like something or other. It's very hard for me to pick a favorite. They're kind of genre specific. But if I was forced to, I'm going to name drop maybe like five or six artists that that I like that are across the spectrum. Go for it. So... Some of these are a bit older, but I like some jazz greats: Miles Davis, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, Sade. Okay, I like indie rock and some old school kind of goth rock bands like Joy Division, Swans, uh, Bauhaus, things like that. Which is not okay. A real. I like a little. Atlanta hip hop, Cardi B, maybe Lil Pump might be a guilty pleasure, Kodak Black. So I'm all over the board, Sean. There you go. Oh, Matt,
1: I you know, I like that. Um so it's it's reminding me of like when my wife or daughter, they they enjoy painting. Right? And so you have and for those of you that enjoy painting, you know, forgive me for just calling it the plastic thingy. I'm sure there's a proper term for it, but for lack of knowing what the term is, it's the, it's the plastic thing that you put all the paints on. And then you take each of those paints and you, you mix what you need to create this amazing piece of art. And so as you're describing these different artists, that's what's hitting my ears. I'm like, oh, he's got this really amazing canvas And depending on the paint that he's looking for or the music, he he pulls that out. So, yeah, I I love that eclectic nature. Uh, So that's that's good stuff. Nice. Nice. Yeah, completely agree. All right. Matt, how about a favorite hobby or pastime?
0: Okay, good. Well, I'm a little bit of a hack musician myself, so I play my guitar now and then. But I really with my family in particular, I enjoy hiking in nature. That's Probably one of my favorite things to do. I live in a beautiful part of the world up uh, near Seattle on the Olympic Peninsula. And so when we get downtime, we'll go out, go hiking, maybe hit the beach, go paddleboarding or kayaking. And uh, yeah, out in the trees, uh, seeing beautiful waterfalls and things like that. Okay. Oh, that's
1: good stuff. There is someone that I met a couple of years ago and I was actually listening to a podcast he said something. I reached out to him, and we connected. but I remember one of the things that this guy talked about was how um, he loved to go walking barefoot in grass, and how that was the healthiest thing he could do and I haven't done the research to corroborate exactly what the health benefits are, but every time I hear someone you know talking about um, you know being out in nature and getting out, doing something other than, you know, being in their four walls. Yeah. I just, I'm like, kudos.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So I'm not going to let that slide. I'm going to throw out one more thing that I learned this year. When you mentioned walking barefoot in grass, someone recently told me, and I'm not going to say whether this is true or not that your listeners need to look this up. But if you stand on the earth barefoot for 20 minutes a day, you ground, so it's called grounding, and that it really reduce majorly reduces the inflammation in your body. I was like, "Get out of here with that," and he's like, "Go look it up." I looked it up. There's a lot of stuff out there, so check it out. Grounding. Grounding. Okay. Well, Matt, thank you for putting
1: myself and our listeners up on grounding. I am going to have to do the research on right. that. Um, right. But that. And especially over the last 12 to 18 months, if all it takes is 20 minutes of standing on your grass to yeah, reduce the inflammation in your body and just yeah, reconnect with nature, that is 20 minutes well spent, man. Totally agree. All right. So Matt, what is, and you may have already alluded to this, but I'll ask it anyway. What is your, your favorite place to um, visit on vacation or be at with your family?
0: Okay, good, good. So I have the benefit of living in the Pacific Northwest, which is a beautiful place. We mostly vacation regionally. That being said, I'm going to throw out a couple more spots. So I was most recently uh, working at BSI. And when I was working for them, my chain of command was primarily in Ireland. And I definitely want to go over and see those guys. So if you're listening... I'm still doing it. I'm coming over there to Ireland. It's been on my bucket list forever. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Later this summer, I actually have a vacation plan with my family to Hawaii. And anyone who knows me in particular, my wife knows that I'm a guy who's probably too cheap to book a vacation to Hawaii, but we had an opportunity uh, with some folks who want to swap houses with us. And so we're like, hey, free lodging, Let's do it. Let's get on this. Uh, So, they're going to stay at my house. I'm going to stay at theirs and I'm going to go to Hawaii. Oh, wow. Okay. That may just be the
1: single most reason to have you back on just to hear about that experience, Matt. Oh, wow. That is very cool. Okay. So, just out of curiosity, how were you able to connect with this other family? Are
0: they friends or friends of friends? honestly it's a platform so it's like a house sharing platform it's not like airbnb right but okay sharing thing and so i've been part of that for a bit and i've done it a few different times in the past and it's always been a great experience and i get a lot of cool and interesting solicitations takes more effort to plan out a swap but it's worth it when you can make it happen
1: oh wow matt you i know they i know they say that the uh The Dos guy is the most interesting man in the world, but uh, brother, you are running a close second uh, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) All right. Matt, what teacher at any level has had the greatest impact on you?
0: Good. Great question. I'll give two quick answers here. I had an amazing uh, experience in fifth and sixth grade, actually, back in uh, Bloomington Public Schools with Mrs. Murray and Mrs. Palbicki. Uh, I won't go into the details, but we were just had a terrific program that we were in. Uh, but then beyond that, I would say uh, going back to my college days, I studied with uh, Melissa Selu, who is a professor at the University of Minnesota of uh, Greek and Religious Studies, and. Completely changed my life. She was an amazing professor and just, again, completely changed my whole aspect and orientation and understanding of a lot of different things. So shout out to her. Okay. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Well, Matt, I will say that that is certainly one of my most favorite questions, if not the favorite, only because it reminds me as the husband of an educator, right, that that labor of love does pay off right? The encouragement, the, the grading, the preparation, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is well worth it, right? Especially when you know, you're talking to a Matt Cooper or any one of the other hundred plus guests that we've had. It's interesting. There's always someone, whether in an academic setting or in their family setting, they've learned something from someone and they appreciate that person sewing into their life.
0: I completely agree, Sean. And uh, it wasn't until I became an adult that I really realized that you can go out and look for your own teachers and mentors. And it's really something that you should do, uh, because learning from someone else who already understands the thing or the material that you're that you're going for is just such an accelerator in your own uh, understanding.
1: Oh, agreed, sir. Agreed. All right.
0: Matt, as always, these
1: times go by way too quickly. And so before we let you go, I do have one last question. Let's you and I jump in the time machine and we are going back in time to 18-year-old Matt Cooper. What is today's Matt Cooper going to tell his 18-year-old self?
0: Oh, Sean, this is a tough one. It's a tough one. So I think of a saying that that I learned from my father that I repeat myself now which is that if i had to go back and do it over again i'd make different mistakes you uh, you know you you don't know what you don't know at the time i guess though there's a lot of advice that my 18-year-old self badly needs i would say think through your career path and don't settle for don't settle for something that interested in and just keep pushing and pushing until you get there. I honestly didn't realize I could enjoy my work as much as I do now. Uh, back when I was 18, a job was kind of a job and you, know, you show up and you do your thing and you do your best, but it's not something I really enjoyed per se until later in my career uh, when I found a niche where I was completely personally fascinated by my work. And so yeah. That's what I would tell myself. Like you can, you know, you can get there. You, you just need to keep trying. Oh, that's great advice, Matt. And so with that,
1: Matt, thank you again for being um, so open. Um, thanks for being a great guest, but even more than that, thanks for being an awesome human
0: being. Sean, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really fun. And uh, I, I'd really appreciate the opportunity And I'd love to do it again. Thanks again for having me on. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so, Matt, before we let you go, what
1: is the best way for us to get in contact with you or follow you on social media?
0: Absolutely. I would say hit me on LinkedIn. Send me an email at com, And uh, I will be happy to get back to you and uh, have a conversation. Okay. Great. And so, Matt, with that, again, thanks so
1: much for being on the Tech & Main Presents podcast. Um, Tech & Main Presents family, thank you, as always, for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech & Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast. Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends, and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.